Welcome to the Anxiety Coaches Podcast, a relaxing and informative show where we explore anxiety, panic, and PTSD, sharing how you can overcome them for life. Aloha, welcome back to the Anxiety Coaches Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Gina Ryan, and I am so happy to be with you again today as together we can consider the many ways to bring your mind and body back to its natural peace and calm. We offer a number of ways to help you with your journey here at Anxiety Coaches Podcast, and I hope you will take advantage of everything that we offer. Be sure to subscribe to this twice-a-week podcast. I'd also suggest visiting our website where you can sign up for our newsletter, you can listen to the 10-minute body scan meditation, and check out the group and one-on-one coaching options, along with the resources and more information on anxiety. Go to anxietycoachespodcast.com and check all that out today. In today's episode, I want to talk about how thoughts and feelings contribute to well-being. I recently read an article uh, entitled Three Emerging Insights About Happiness, and the subtitle was Researchers Are Exploring How Our Everyday Thoughts and Feelings Contribute to Our Well-Being. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to share with you the three uh, insights that they have in here. I think that our thoughts and our feelings so contribute to our well-being that we don't pay enough attention to it. And we find this out when we have the anxiety journey. We find out that our how we think is contributing so much to our mental and physical well-being that we learn how important this is. So it was an an interesting article, and I thought that I would share it with you because there are a couple of key points in here that are really worth spending some time on. So what this is about, I, I will have a link to the entire article in the show notes, so you can go there and um, read the entire article yourself. But I thought it would be a great time for us to talk about how this can relate to anxiety and how it can help us, how we can really drill down into our thoughts and feelings and how they contribute to our well-being. So the article talks about how the woman who wrote the article, Kira M. Newman, she went to a um, meeting. She went to the International Positive Psychology Association's Sixth World Congress in Melbourne, uh, Australia. And so this was a nice gathering of researchers from over 60 countries. And um, she laid out some of her key understandings that she got from this meeting, from this gathering of all of these researchers. And what they did is they talked about their cutting edge insights on the science of well-being. And so I find that very interesting. I've been in the world of uh, wellness and well-being for a very, very long time. So I love paying attention to the science here and there and what they are coming up with and how they're connecting all the dots of things that people have been doing for a very 
very long time. So it's good. A lot of people are being brought into the world of, of well-being and caring about it more instead of just living a life um, by habit. They're learning that they have more that they can do and influence their own well-being by how they think and how they feel. So the article says that their findings added depth and complexity to our understanding of the major keys to a flourishing life. It says they heard about when kindness uh, makes us happier, but also when it doesn't. They learned how the elderly can be meaningfully engaged in helping others. They discovered many concrete ways to boost our sense of meaning in life and how cultural differences influence the pursuit of happiness. Researchers also addressed modern obstacles to happiness from the way we're hooked on technology to a widespread sense of disconnection and loneliness. And so all of those things are things that most of us have already known about and paid attention to. And I'm glad that there's a lot of discussion around it, especially around the ability to make a meaningful life by engaging and helping others. This is a big piece that when we are anxious, we often fall down from doing this because we become sort of self-absorbed in the way that we're trying desperately to take care of ourselves. And we forget about the actual joy and the medicine actually that is in our ability to help other people. When we do that, we are helping ourselves. It isn't altruistic. It is give and take. We gain, we give, we gain. And uh, we're thrilled that we're able to help other people, but it helps us too. And this is very important, like I said, because often when we get stuck in a anxiety panic loop, we don't have the resources to be helping others. We're so exhausted from our own thought processes and our own thought loops that we forget that we can help others because we don't have the energy to do it. It doesn't even come to the top of mind. So don't worry if you're not doing that now. Just know as you start to feel a little bit better as you're moving through this journey with me, that you'll be able to have the resources and the impetus to go out and help others. Now that can be right in your own family. You don't have to go far to find people that can benefit from your care. So Let's see what else. Now, uh, I just want to, one caveat there is the flip side of uh, helping others is overhelping, which is also a very big problem with people who are anxious because they want to help so much because it help, makes their anxiety calm down for just a minute. They think if they take care of everything, everything will be all right. So there can be overhelping also, We're not talking about that today, but there are many times uh, that if we could just get out of our own head for 10 minutes for an hour and help somebody else, we really do feel better. So anyway, that's some of the stuff that they talked about at this World Congress from the Positive Psychology Association. But, but some of the things that the author, Kira 
M. Newman laid out. The first one was positive solitude. The second one was feeling active. And the third one that she talked about was future mindedness. And I want to go into each and every one of these briefly for you because I want to tell you how they, how they connect to uh, being able to help you with your anxiety panic to help you be able to move through your panic and anxiety. All three of them were very important for that. So I want to talk to you about each of those. But before I do, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Ned. Ned and their hemp collection have been a wonderful sponsor for us to work with here at Anxiety Coaches Podcast because Ned's collection of full-spectrum hemp oil products that contain CBD extracted from the organic hemp plants that are all grown with love in Colorado, have this has been awesome for us because this is the kind of company that we wanted to partner with because they they are caring about everything from the agricultural climate and the soil that they are growing their hemp in to being able to give back to the farmers, communities, and the environment. So I want you to check out this awesome company if you are looking for a hemp product that contains CBD so that you can work on some of the issues that CBD is great for. And what are those? You know, it's an awesome product to be able to use, just like we talk about the other herbs. Um, this hemp oil is awesome as a sleep aid. Often it is used to treat insomnia and it is anti-inflammatory. It's a natural pain reliever. It's used to treat anxiety, PTSD, and depression. And it's a rich source of antioxidants. I want you to Think about trying these products because they are so clean. They are so whole and natural that I have no problem suggesting them. Many people ask me about the issue about getting high from using a hemp product. Nope, you don't get high from using a hemp product. Uh, full spectrum hemp is a major non-psychotropic, which means it will not get you high. So that you can rest easy and giving it a try. And we really thank you, Ned, for being a sponsor and supporting the show. You can get 15% off listeners, all of my ACP family out there. Yes, 15% off with free shipping by going to www.helloned.com slash ACP. That's www.helloned.com slash ACP. And be sure to use the promo code ACP. That link will be in the show notes for you. Now back to our article here on the three emerging insights about happiness. The first one that Kira M. Newman talks about is positive solitude. Now, I kind of like the sounds of this. And I quote from her article, she says, researchers have repeatedly found that social connection is one of the keys to happiness. And for many of us, feeling separated from other people translates into a sense of loneliness and disconnection. But does solitude have to be a negative experience? Can time alone feed our well-being? 
That's what Kira said in her article. Now, I want to say, we know that there is a time and a place for everything. And I want to point out that each one of you as individuals are going to relate to this differently. Everybody has their own formula for how much time they need alone and how much time they need for connection and helping. So I want you to pay attention to your own rhythms here and start to notice how much time you need for being in solitude. I love the question they asked, does solitude have to be a negative experience? And I, for one, want to tell you, it does not have to be a negative experience. It can be very, very helpful and pleasurable. So let's see what the article goes on to say. Um, Kira says, people who experience positive solitude tend to feel more positive emotions. In particular, the low energy ones like relaxation and calm. According to research, when these people do find themselves alone, they have a greater sense of pleasure and meaning and less of a sense of void. What kind of people enjoy their time alone? Positive solitude seems to come more naturally to those who are more introverted or higher in emotional and psychological maturity. What if you don't have those traits? We might see more benefit in solitude if we deliberately schedule time alone for doing something we enjoy or spend our solitary time in the peaceful and welcoming setting of nature. Future research may uncover other ways for us to cultivate new attitudes toward solitude so we can appreciate it more and be happier for it. End of quote from the article. I love that they brought this up, how different we are and how we are all going to relate to this differently. If you are more introverted and you are higher in the emotional and psychological maturity, you probably will enjoy solitude more, positive solitude. And if you are not there, if you are extroverted, way over on the other side of the spectrum, there's nothing wrong with that. That's really awesome. That's who you are. But you may need when you are going to find yourself in solitude to make it positive, to find ways to cultivate that, such as being in a natural setting, being out in nature, being doing a solitary activity that may ease the way that you can enjoy some nice, positive, solitary time. Being with you and being with nature and maybe being with you and doing a solitary activity, some other ways to do it. I love that they're looking into this more. Now, the second one that she has is feeling active. And um, Kira goes to say here about feeling active. One of the traditional surveys that researchers use to measure positive emotions includes a peculiar statement, I feel active. For researchers that didn't seem quite like a positive emotion, not the way others feeling like grateful or happy are. So she decided to investigate it further. Past research would suggest that people who experience more positive emotions are healthier in various ways. For example, they have stronger immune systems, exercise more, and have a lower risk of heart disease and even living longer. But what role does feeling active play in our health and well-being? So that's the end of the quote from the article. Well, so what does this piece um, of, of feeling active, what does that feel like? What they mean is 
the word active doesn't have to be just physical. What they're talking about here is how energetic, how vigorous, how vital we feel. And that can be psychological, right? So we want to pay attention to that with our own journaling even. Let's check out how active are we feeling? How active are we feeling in our psyche? Are we energetic, vigorous, vital? How is that playing out in how we feel? And the article goes on to say, but what makes us feel active and how is that beneficial? It remains to be determined who those energetic people are and whether we can all get happier by boosting the pep in our step. That's the end of that piece from Kira. But I want to go on and say that I believe that when you can feel more energetic, when you are feeling more active, as the article is talking about, this is key to being able to get yourself to not feel so heavily burdened by your anxiety. You know, anxiety gives us a lot of energy. We have, it's a different in that manner from depression. We have this drive, we have all this energy moving inside of us, but we want to feel active, not overly energized. So what can we do when we have that energy? Maybe we can use it to be in a state that is positively active. Maybe we can be feeling active instead of feeling anxious. Sometimes just by turning these statements around a little bit and looking at them from a little bit of a different perspective, they aren't so damning. They aren't putting us down. They're like, okay, so we have all this energy going on inside of us. Maybe I can use it. Maybe this is when I should exercise when I'm feeling my morning anxiety. I've got all this energy going on inside of me. Maybe I can turn that from feeling anxious to feeling active. Let's play with that a little bit. Just like researchers, we are researchers in our own lives. We want to check out if I can turn this around, if I can make this work for my well-being instead of working against me by thinking something is wrong with me. We know that morning anxiety is a natural feeling from being sensitive to your cortisol and feeling it. So don't worry about it. Just get up and burn some of it off. Get that blood flowing and pumping. Get your day started. And let's see if we can't turn that into a positive instead of a negative. And the final one that they have in the article is future-mindedness. Now, I thought this was interesting because we often think of being anxious as thinking too much in the future, too much future, as uh, Eckhart Tolle would say, not enough present and too much future. But um, from the article, what they're talking about is, uh, here's a quote from it, as we pursue happiness, we often ponder the future and the kinds of things that will make us feel good tomorrow or next year. Even though our predictions aren't always accurate, the simple act of contemplating the future might be a key to well-being. And that's the end of the quote from the article. So let's look at it that way. Let's look at what if we are thinking about the future, like planning something for the future, like we need to do quite often. Let's turn it into pondering the future and things about things that will make us feel good. Let's ponder the things that 
we may not get, they may not happen, but they will be things that will maybe make us feel good in the future, tomorrow or even next year. One last little piece from the article. They talk about many popular therapies. And these might be interesting to you because some of these were new to me also. Some of the new popular therapies are future-oriented therapy, hope therapy, solution-focused therapy, and of course, cognitive behavioral therapy. These all help clients improve the way they think about the future. If you want to improve your future-mindedness without therapy, another option is to journal about new doors that have opened or might open in your life. That's the end of the quote I have for you from the article by Kira M. Newman. So, Yeah, there we go. The journal pops up again. Be your own therapist in there if you want. You can jump in and start your journal. And actually, if you're seeing a therapist or a coach, your journal is the thing that you want to take with you to your sessions because there is gold in there. And I have spent the last 15, 20 years helping people connect the dots in their journals, from food journals to anxiety journals and everything in between. We can connect the dots. Another set of eyes can be really helpful there for you. So I hope this show has been helpful for you. I think it's fun to look at what the science is doing and what they're coming up with connecting the dots on the things that many people have been doing for many, many years. It's good to see why it works. So I hope you've enjoyed this and I look forward to hearing from you. That's it for today's episode. And before I read today's quote, I want to remind you that if you want more than what's offered here and more personal guidance, you might be ready for our group coaching membership program. It's a deeper dive into what you learn here on these episodes. Each month, you'll receive two anxiety clearing skill sheets sent in email. You'll also receive two live group coaching calls, which are recorded in case you can't attend. Those will help guide you through your challenges. And there's also a secret Facebook group for coach and community support every day, all month long. So if you're ready for more, go to anxietycoachespodcast.com slash group dash coaching and join today. I'd love to see you in the group. And now for today's quote. My anxiety doesn't come from thinking about the future, but from wanting to control it. And that's from Hugh Prather. I'll be back in a few more days with another podcast. Until then, be well and aloha. Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode of the Anxiety Coaches Podcast. Find more information at the anxietycoachespodcast.com.